I am so very glad you're here today, whether you're joining us in person or in the worldwide interwebs. Welcome. I am your host. Thank you. Thank you. And for the next four hours, we will get into some things. Um, so there's a poll online that I need you to take. Uh, we, we, so we're wrapping up this series called You in Five Years, and then, which means we begin a new series next week, which we're calling Undo, which is really, it's going to be good. I hope you plan to be here. It's going to be like five weeks, and we're going to be talking about Jesus and like the thing that he came to establish, this church thing that he was doing. And so we're going to look at like what Jesus was doing, and then we're going to look at like what the modern American church in 2019 is doing, and we're going to go, how are we lining up? And are there some things that maybe we need to undo? Okay, so I hope that you'll make plans to be here for that. It's going to be really good. Which means after that series, we start a new series. And this is where I need your help and why we're taking a poll. And that is a couple months ago, we did this series called Leviticus. And we went through like the first seven chapters of Leviticus. And my idea was we're going to take a, like a three-month break. And then in August, pick back up in Leviticus. Um, and so we're getting to chapters 8 and 10, talking about the priest and like what their role is and what their role tells us about the nature of God and all this stuff. So what I want to know, though, is like, should we keep going? So I don't want all of your opinions. <laughs> but what I would like is like, uh, if you go on the Facebook family, uh, what is it? It's the Foundry Family Facebook group, not the page, the group. The group is where we do like interactive type stuff, where we do the live stream on Mondays. But if you go there and you like that, uh, then you can get feeds in your update and your, your feed, updates in your feed. Um, but there's going to be a poll and it's basically going to be like, hey, Leviticus or not. And that's all we want to know, okay? So that will let me know if we need to continue in this. Because uh, I thought it was pretty good and I think a lot of you were like, yeah, it was cool, but like we need more time away from that. So uh, let me know. So if we do it in August, it's entirely up to you. Um, so if you don't like it and we end up doing it, know that you're the minority, right? Like, so hopefully we'll just, well, I'll let you know. You got two weeks to fill out the poll. Uh, you can also go to your uh, Foundry app and at the top of it, it, it will show you and it'll take you there and you can answer that question there. If you don't have Facebook and you want to chime in, tell Hank. Okay. I already had somebody say, I don't have Facebook, but I'm for it. And I was like, yeah, you are. Check mark for that side. So anyways. Uh, let us know what you want to do with that. All right, so this, we move on. Uh, today we wrap up. We wrap up our series called You in Five Years. We've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about a lot of practical things, like how to get from here to there. We've talked about um, what do you want to be? What do you want your goals to look like? What do you want your relationships to look like? How do you want your finances to function? And then how do we get there? How do we get to that end goal? We talked about reverse engineering how we understand things. We talked about little by little, how we get to the places we want to be. We talked about how do we understand a day and how do we use our time and what kind of time we have this, do we have the greatest opportunity to make changes in our life and what does that look like? And so now I'm assuming that you've all begun steps to your goal. You're all achieving and all doing the wonderful things that you want to do or quitting and stopping doing things that you don't want to do. Um, so my question today is like, okay, that's cool. But like, what if I fail? What if I fail? Because that's, that, that's a more important question actually to me is like, what, what if we fail? And, that, and maybe the question is not like, not what if, but like, when? What, what do I do when I fail? I failed once. 
It, it might have been twice, if I'm honest. It might have been twice. Uh, so what do we do when we fail? Here's the thing about failure. Uh, when it comes to failure, there, there's like two things that I know. One is that there's like layers to it. Like there's components, right? Like there's a, like there's a head component, but there's also a heart component. Um, so it's intellectual, but it's also like feeling uh, when, you, when you do a failure. And then I also know when it comes to failure is like, there are benefits to failure. People talk about that a lot. There are benefits to failure. Uh, but the reality is you can give me all of the benefits of failure you want. It will still hurt. It will still hurt. It will still, there'll be things you'll go through that you will fail at and it will still hurt. It doesn't lessen the pain. So um, what if I fail? Have you ever failed? Don't raise your hand. Have you ever failed? Uh, so a couple weeks ago, I told a story. Uh, I talked about, I like stood up here and patted myself on the back and talked about how I ran this like ultra marathon and did all this stuff, right? It's really cool. And uh, I got done with that race. And for like the next two weeks after that race, man, I was like on this like, like high, right? Like just like, I felt great. Uh, I felt like I could accomplish anything. Like just really, man, just felt like I elevated to the next level of like a superhuman type of being. It was awesome. I felt fantastic. And in that time frame, uh, my lovely wife, Jessica Darling, and my dear sweet sister, Hannah Rose, they were training for a triathlon. They were training for a triathlon sprint, right? Which a sprint is like, it's a quarter mile swim. It's a 10-mile bike, and it's a five-mile run, which is nothing to laugh at, right? That's a lot. So they've been training for this, and I thought, you know what? They're, like, kind of going at this, like, this team approach. I'm like, that's really cool. Like, maybe, maybe I should participate in this. Like, I just did this race, so I'm in pretty good shape. So, um, but I would like to join, like, the team and be a part of, like, this camaraderie that they're experiencing through doing this. They're going and swimming at the gym together and riding. And I'm like, that's kind of... It's kind of neat, so maybe I should do that. So I did what you should always do when you first think about doing something, is that I ordered the outfit. <laughs> right? Because that's, if you don't look the part. So I ordered the tri suit, which is like a onesie swimsuit to the shoulder. You know, like, you look like uh, uh, you're going to the beach in the 1930s. Um, not super flattering. You become more aware of your lumps and stuff, you know, whatever. Uh, so uh, I order the suit and I go for a couple swims with them because they're going swimming. So I said, oh, I should probably go swim too. But I'm a pretty good swimmer anyway, so I wasn't really worried about it. I swam in high school. I, I, I surfed since, you know, like uh, middle school. I still surf now. Uh, so I'm not really, you know, water. I'm comfortable in water, not a big deal. So uh, I did some swimming, felt pretty good about it, ready to tackle the sprint triathlon. The two weeks go by, the big event comes, the weekend comes, we drive over, I think it was in Ocala or Osceola, something like that, we drive to the race. And if you remember, do you remember back in March, it was like the end of March, beginning of April, and there was like that cold snap, there was like a really, like a couple weeks, it just got really, for us, <laughs> everyone else was laughing at us, but we were cold in Florida, we were zipping up hoodies and stuff, and it was bad. Um, so it was one of the cold snap weekends, and uh, we go to the race in the morning, and it's, you know, still dark. The sun is, like, just beginning to come up, and you have to wade out into the water. So the water you're in, though, is not a pool. It's an open, it's called an open swim, so it's like in a lake. So who swims in a lake in Florida, by the way, right? Alligators and snakes and amoebas and all kinds of wonderful stuff. So uh, it's cold. The sun hasn't really come up. And I'm in a lake in Florida with like a hundred other dudes. 
So the, the gun goes off, and uh, we start swimming, and, and it's like going, people are kicking you, and you're getting punched in the face, and all this stuff, and you're trying to make it through, and I start like, I can't catch my breath as I'm swimming. I can't get into a pattern, into a rhythm. I can't, can't get into it, and so I get a couple minutes into this, to this swim, and, uh, and I can't like touch the ground anymore, and I start to panic. Like I just, uh, like in my head, I have this mental block. I start to panic. Like I can't touch, and I start like, I, I break out of my, my, my swim, and I just start like, kind of like trying to tread water. Like what's happening? Like I can't, and I don't panic easy, and I don't give up easy, but I felt like I wanted to, to quit. I felt like I would give up and go home. I start looking for um, lifeguards. There's no lifeguards, and I don't know where they were. There's no lifeguards, and in my mind, all I'm thinking is, well, you know, like, I'm going to die, and I got to preach tomorrow. Who's going to preach? <laughs> who's going <laughs> to preach? So uh, there's no lifeguards, and, I, and so I, I do the only thing I can do, and that is I, 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 like, create my own swim, like, stroke, and it's a cross between, like, a doggy paddle and a breaststroke, and it looks something like this. <sighs> And that's the way I started to swim out into the lake in the gators and the snakes and the amoebas. And I just made my way. And so the guys all passed me. I'm definitely at the end of the guys. But then like 10 minutes later, they let the girls free. And then the girls start passing me. And I'm just watching the girls just like, good job. I support you. <laughs> Don't let me die. Um, and I remember just watching the sun like come up over the, over the horizon and just praying, God, like if there is a God, please don't let me die. Like that was, that was my prayer and it was just this panic, panic moment. So I make it through, I make it through, which I was like just surprised that I got through, but it was tough. And so I get to the transition part and it's, now it's the bike and now it's the run. And so I'm like, well, I'm in pretty good shape. I, I, should kill, I should crush this part. Like, here we go, here we go. So I get there, I dry off, I put my helmet on, you know, I get, I, I get out of the transition and I go to step on the bike and I take two pedals, pedal one, pedal two. And all of a sudden, the back of the, the back derailleur on the back tire snaps in half. Like, not just pops off, like fix the chain, flip the bike over, like snaps. And so a guy who like fixes bikes who was there, he comes up and he goes, I can't fix that. <laughs> so I said, thanks. So that was the end of my race. And I put my head down and I walked the bike back to the truck, put it in the truck, and was completely defeated and humbled and sad and pouting. But then my wife and my sister, they continued the race, and they finished the race, and they did a great job. I'm super proud. I'm like, yeah, way to go, but I didn't tell them what had happened. I actually hid my stuff so that they wouldn't concentrate on where Seth, like, so that they would just think I'm ahead or whatever, and uh, they finished and did a great job. I'm super proud of them, but I walked away from that race utterly defeated because, and it wasn't just that I didn't, didn't do good on the swim. It was like I didn't get to finish the race at all, so like for two weeks, I'm completely just bummed. Like, and I know it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily my fault. It was the bike's fault. I mean, the bike was like from 1937 and it was super rusty, but I thought I could, and I just remember going, it was like a funk, just this funk that I got into, right? Like, and you could tell me like, oh yes, Seth, there's benefits from failure and there's all this kind of stuff and just keep your head up and keep, but something in here was off. There was something tough in that moment that, that I didn't, that I failed to do the thing that I wanted to do. Have you ever failed? Have you ever failed? 
Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Now, there's all different kinds of failure. I get that, right? Like, not all failures are created equal. Um, there's things like financial failure. There's things like some sort of moral failure that can affect a lot of people. There's things like uh, my business failed. There's things like my wife asked me to get milk on the way home and I forgot. I failed to do that, right? There's different levels. Those aren't all equal, but failure is a thing that we all face, that we all deal with. So what if I fail? How do I deal with it? How do I deal with failure, not just in my head, but in my heart, right? So in Matthew chapter 16, there's this story about a guy. You may know him. He, he goes by the name of Peter. If you're familiar with the story of Peter, um, he had an interesting sort of uh, relationship with Jesus and how things go. But I want you to see how it starts and then look at kind of this turmoil in the middle of it and then how it ends. So let's start with this, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is hanging out with the disciples and he asks the disciples like, who do, who, who, do, who do people say I am? What are they saying about me? And then he asked Peter directly, well, who do you say that I am? Watch what he says. Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. He says, but what about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh uh, and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So now, there's this guy by the name of Ray Vanderlaan, and he has this fantastic insight to this passage specifically. Uh, and it has to do with like the geographic location of where they're having this conversation, and this rock that they're staring at, and it's really, really, really cool stuff. But today, I just want to kind of keep this simple, right? Because there's also, um, in, in the Greek text, the word for Peter is the word Petros, which means rock. So Jesus says, Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter, which means rock. And then it says, um, so you will be the rock. And he says, on my rock, I will build this church. And there's some linguistic stuff and people have all these debates over it. But what I want you to see in this passage is that Jesus says to this guy, Peter, I've got something important for you to do. You're going to be a major part of the thing that I'm doing. Like you're going to be a part of the foundation for this thing that I'm calling the church. Okay, so that's kind of where, where this thing starts. Like, you, you've got an important role to play, man. Okay, so if you know the story, you skip about 10 chapters ahead into Matthew chapter 26, and the story continues, and this is right around the time, like right before Jesus is arrested. Uh, him and his disciples, they have the Last Supper, uh, and then they go for a walk. They go to the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus tells Peter that he's going to betray him, right? He, he prophesies this, he foresees this, whatever. And if you're familiar with this, this is, this is that story. So uh, Matthew 26, verse 34, this is Jesus talking. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. So Jesus says to Peter, you're going to be the foundation of this thing that I'm doing called the church. Ten chapters later, he says, you're going to deny and reject me. Peter says, of course I won't do that. If you know the story, you know what happens. Peter, in fact, does deny Jesus, not once, not twice, three times. And after the third time, the rooster crows. And all of a sudden, the little light bulb goes off in Peter's head. And he is reminded of the thing that he has done. He is reminded of the failure. He's reminded of what Jesus has said to him. Watch what it says. This is 
Same chapter, chapter 26, verse 75. Because I want you to see Peter's response. It says, immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now watch his response here. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. What if I fail? Have you ever failed? Have you ever been in the place, experienced the moment where it just hasn't worked out, where you've let somebody down, where you've let yourself down, where you've let the family down, where you've let the church down, where you've let somebody down? What if I fail? The thing about failure is that it's not just in the head, it's like in the heart. It's like deeper than this thing. It's, it's this deeper thing that sits within you. How do I handle that. The thing about failure is, yeah, there may be some benefits to it. We'll talk about those in a second. But also, like, it still hurts. If you go through something significant, it still hurts. And you can show up with a bunch of, here's three ways to fix it. And you can show up with a bunch of, hey, everything's, uh, what, what is it? There's no obstacles. There's only opportunities yeah, yeah, cool, I understand that here, but also in here, that doesn't help me in this moment. It doesn't help me when I just denied Jesus three times, and he says, it doesn't help me, it still hurts. And so what does Peter do? He goes outside alone, and he weeps bitterly. Not a little sniffle, not a little, man, I'm really disappointed, a heavy, deep sense of failure. Yeah, there is benefits to failure. In fact, I found this article uh, this week, uh, and there's all kinds of stuff. You guys could go look this up, but I found this article out of Forbes talking about failure. And so from a practical side of things, like let me give you the, the, like this practical application, and then we'll talk about like this deeper thing, because I think we need both, right? But it's only like the hindsight, the 2020, that, that the practical application maybe makes sense. It doesn't really help you in the now. But uh, So let's talk about like four, four ways to think about and handle failure. And then I want to give you five, and this is based on this Forbes article, uh, five uh, benefits of failure. Okay, so the first thing is this. When it comes to failure, the four, what we're calling the four F's of failure uh, is uh, to face the fear. Is that the right one? Face your fear. Face your fear. Uh, when it comes to failure, most people are fearful of failure. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid that we won't measure up. We're afraid that we're not going to do the right things. Fear of failure, yet that's the thing that keeps you in the job that's crushing your soul. That's, that's the thing, fear of failure is the thing that keeps you in the relationship that's toxic that you know you should get out of. Fear of failure keeps you from pursuing the dream that you have. Fear of failure keeps you from trying, right? So how, how do we handle uh, failure? Well, we have to face that fear. 
You have to step up to it. You have to acknowledge it. You have to realize it exists and then do something about it. So that's the first one, face your fear. Uh, Gandhi has a quote um, in, in this realm. Uh, and of course, his stuff is like on multiple levels, right? So this is one level of it. Um, he says, the enemy is fear. We think it's hate. Obviously, he's talking about like humanity in this bigger picture. We think it's hate, um, but it's fear. The enemy is fear. It will keep you from doing. It will keep you in the places you should not be. It will keep you from getting to the places you want to be. The enemy is fear. Uh, the second thing is to face the facts. The fact is we can almost always fail. Right? The sooner we acknowledge that, we, that failure is a possibility, the, failure, uh, the sooner you can be ready to deal with it. And when you do fail, the quicker you face the facts that you just failed, the better off you're going to be because the quicker you can get to the next thing. Uh, Elon Musk has a quote. He says this, uh, failure is an option here. If things are not failing, you are not innovating enough. Failure is an option. If things aren't failing, you are not innovating enough. Um, the person who says to you, well, I don't ever fail at anything. Well, have you ever tried anything new? It's easy to not fail if you don't ever try anything new. It's easy to not fail if you just maintain the status quo and just keep doing the same things over and over and over again. Uh, the third thing is to feast on your failure. What does that mean? No, it means to learn from your mistakes. Learn from your mistakes. Take the thing, the failure, break it apart, pick it up, look at the pieces, and say, how can this become fuel to help me get to the next thing? Right? Allow that thing to be the nourishment to help you get to the next stage. Feast on your failure. Allow that to fuel what's next. Here's a quote from uh, somebody, Thomas Edison. He says this. He says, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Right? What, can you imagine if you maintain that optimistic view on everything you approached? Did it work? No, it didn't. Should I try again? Yeah, I should. Did it work? No, it didn't. Should I try again? Yeah, you should. Just keep going, which is point number four. Keep going. Was it forge ahead, which also means keep going. Forge ahead. Keep going. Yeah, it's going to happen. It will happen. Deal with it. Get up, dust yourself off, and keep going. Forge ahead. Keep moving forward. Uh, Winston Churchill says this. He says, success consists of going from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. How often do we come into something that fails and what do we do? We toss our hands in the air or we give up or we try it one more time just to see and then we give up that time, right? Keep going. Forge ahead. So how do we deal with failure? There's four ways. Let me give you five benefits of failure. I came up with a really clever acronym to help you understand this so you can take this with you. Are you ready? If you mince the pronunciation, that's stupid. I thought it was funny. Tuesday it was funny. Leave me alone. Okay. So three C's and a G and an F. All right, so clarity. Here, here's, these are five benefits of failure because you can learn from failure is one of our greatest teachers. If you do not fail, it's very hard to learn sometimes. That's one of my primary teachers. If you look at my life, you will understand that. Okay, so uh, C, what's the first C? Clarity. Failure brings clarity. That's a benefit because you go through this thing, you fail, and then you learn to see things differently. Oh, that's what I did. I failed at the triathlon. Well, you didn't really train, you big dummy. Oh, yeah, I should have probably spent more time in the pool or swimming in open water before I went. Yeah, clarity. 
the second thing is that it, um, the benefit of failure is champions. Uh, not that you'll be a champion. I believe you're all champions, but this isn't about you in this moment. This is about the people around you. What failure does is it allows you to see who's with you. Everybody loves a winner. And when you're winning, you'll have a lot of people around you supporting you, cheering you, championing your name. But when times get tough, when things get difficult, people bail. People bail. When you begin to fail or when there's questions about what's happening, people will leave. So the benefit of this is that when you fail, you will know who's actually on your side because they will be with you even when it's tough. And don't we all want people that will be with us when it's tough? Champions. The third thing is this, creativity. As you fail, when you fail, as you fail, uh, you will have to get up and figure out a different way to do the thing that you're trying to do. What's the definition of insanity? Keep doing the same thing and expecting different results, right? Failure brings, the benefit is creativity. You're going to have to figure out a new way. If you fail 10,000 times, then you have to, imagine being Thomas Edison and actually failing 10,000 times and then trying to figure out how do I think differently for the 10,000th and one time. Once. The 10,000 and one time. That's a difficult thing. How do you continue? So the benefit is creativity. Uh, the fourth thing is grit. As you continue to fail, do you like how I assume that we're all failing? <laughs> Not like if you fail or when, like as you continue to fail. Um, grit, what it does is you fail, you get back up. You trip, you get back up. I will get back up again. You fail and you get up again. And what it does is it builds this sense of resilience within you because you know it's happened and you're okay and you can get through it. And you've got people now around you who you trust because you've been through the failure and support you. And now you keep going. So you develop this sense of grit, Amen. this fortitude, this stick-to-itiveness, this I don't care what you, don't, what you think I can't do, I'm going to do this thing. Yeah? And then fifth, finally, is freedom. And this to me is, is so, so important and so profound. Freedom. You have messed up. You have failed. You have dropped the ball. You didn't live up to the expectations. Now what? Now you get to keep trying. And now you don't have to worry about maintaining some sort of perfect image. And now you don't have to worry about what people will think if you don't do it because they have already had that thought. And now you can move on. There's a sense of freedom that comes with failure that allows you to do the thing without all the other burdens of trying to maintain something that you're not. Here, here's the other reality when it comes to freedom. Uh, the, the truth is, and this is, this may be hard, and, and I understand this is limited, right? This is like, this is like if we're talking about just a goal that you have that you're trying to get to, this is not like, uh, like some sort of moral failure in this moment that we're talking about. Um, the truth is, whatever your goal is, no one else really cares, <laughs> right? Like, uh, don't say, we all supposed to care. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, I said a couple weeks ago, my goal, I have a goal for the year is to run 1,000 miles. If I don't run 1,000 miles in this year, does that affect your day? It does not. If I don't run 1,000 miles, 1,000 miles this year, you can be really sad. You can be depressed. You can be upset. And said, no, you're going to go, why would you do that anyways, dummy? <laughs> Like, why, right? Like, so the truth is, 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 
there's a freedom in knowing that it doesn't matter except to me. And the, the reality is, you know, the reality is, I've been trying to, trying to run 1,000 miles a year for three years. I haven't done it. I, I, last year, I, I had big plans last year. I was really out to a hot start, and I ended with 600 miles. I didn't even, like, barely halfway. I did not reach it. Were, were, were you guys bummed by that, by the way? No, it doesn't matter because it's not your goal. It's my goal, right? So there's this freedom when it comes to, like, this personal goal. Like, you fa- okay, great, I failed. Guess what? I'm going to try again. There's a, there's a sense of freedom there that's, that's quite fascinating. That's, that's quite, uh, I mean, it's, it's freeing. It's freeing. So let's look at this Peter guy again. Peter, at the end of Matthew, that's kind of the end. That's the last we hear of Peter. Um, is this scene where he goes, he goes outside and weeps bitterly. So the story of Jesus continues, of course. Uh, he's, he's arrested. He's, uh, they hold trial. He's executed as an enemy of the state, murdered on a cross. He's laid in a tomb in a grave for three days. He comes back to life, this thing we call the resurrection, the thing that we place our hope in, that Jesus has dealt once and for all with sin and death. That's where we, that's where we as Christians have this like, great sense of hope for tomorrow. There's somebody greater in us that has gone through this for us. So the scene continues. Jesus comes back from the grave and uh, he starts to meet and show up around town and meet with his disciples and give them instructions about what's going to happen next and he's leaving and how do we carry on and all this stuff. And um, there's a scene in John chapter 21, skip like four books over to John, where Jesus shows up to these disciples and Peter's one of them, right? So we don't hear from Peter and all this stuff at the end of Matthew, but the, the Gospel of John talks about this time that Jesus is meeting with his disciples and we have this story of Peter. So him and some of the disciples are back in Galilee and they're doing some fishing and Jesus shows up and he calls to him and they go to the shore and they uh, get together and they have some discussion and they have fish for breakfast because that's a thing. Who eats fish for breakfast? I don't know. They have fish for breakfast and uh, they have this discussion. And then Jesus confronts Peter with what's happened. He confronts Peter with this failure. Right? And if you've been in the church, maybe you know this story. It's a beautiful story. It's, it's, a, it's a heavy story. It's a compelling story. It's a very sober moment. Um, I, 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 picture, I picture it's a very intimate sort of moment. Look what it says. This is John chapter 21, verse 15. Often it gets called, uh, this is Jesus reinstating Peter. When they had finished eating... Jesus said to Simon, uh, to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. 
you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, this is such a, a powerful moment. I picture Jesus and Peter either sitting next to each other or maybe even standing. Maybe Jesus has his hand on his shoulder asking, these, asking this question, do you love me? Obviously, it's, there's the denial, the three times and this thing, but do you love me? This is a heavy moment. Peter's confronted directly with his failure from the guy who he failed. What I find more interesting, if that's possible, in light of this discussion today, where does this whole interaction take place? It takes place at the Sea of Galilee. Why is that interesting? Well, it's fascinating because of how the story goes. Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to build this church and you will be the foundation of it. I'm going to build my church on you, my church, who is going to go, like, love the unlovable. My church who is going to feed the hungry. My church that's going to bring hope to the poor. My church that's going to look after the marginalized. My church that will rescue and redeem the world. I'm going to build that on you. And Peter fails. He rejects him three times. I don't know him. I don't know him. And so when we pick back up in the story in John chapter 21, what we see is Peter is back home. Peter failed, and he didn't get back up on the horse and take another go at it. Jesus says, I've got this thing that I want you to do, this incredible, powerful thing that can change the world. And Peter denies him three times, and the next time we see him, he's at home fishing he goes back to what's comfortable. He picks up the fishing nets and he gets in the boat because that's what he knows. He has been defeated. Do, do you realize that? Like he's home. He has been defeated. He has allowed his failure to get the best of him. He has allowed his failure to become his identity. What did he do when he realized what had happened? He went outside and he wept bitterly. And he carried that with him. And he carried that with him. And he carried that with him. And he allowed that failure to determine the next few steps of his life. And so when Jesus shows up here and he says, have breakfast with me. And then he has breakfast. And then he starts to ask him these questions. This is beautiful because one, it's this act of forgiveness. I'm accepting you back. Yes, I understand what you've done. I see that. I feel that. I know it. I'm accepting you back and I'm forgiving you for that. But also like... You are not your, your failures are not your identity. There is something more to you than your failures. And there is always a second chance, a third chance, a fifth chance, a 117 chance to be redeemed and to get back to where you're supposed to be going. So when Peter, when Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. He's saying, no, no, no. You 
are not your failure. You are not your failure. You are important. You are going to be the thing that helps propel this whole mission of rescue and identity and love and forgiveness forward. You are not your failure. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep. You failed? Okay. Okay. But I still have something for you to do. Do you think that that's the end? Do you think you messed up, screwed up, really dropped the ball, and then, then what? That's it? That's it? If that's the way God operates, then is he really a God of forgiveness? What I love about this story is like what it teaches us about the nature of God. If Jesus is the most true form of God that we have, then what we see is Jesus not only acknowledging the failure, but forgiving it. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, I know you screwed up. Yes, I know you failed. Yes, I know you made big mistakes. If your understanding of the nature of God doesn't line up with the picture of God that we have in Jesus in the Bible, then I think you need to rethink how you understand God. Because God says there's always another chance. Your identity is in me. Your sense of purpose and self is in me. And when your identity is in Christ, it does not matter how many times you fail because he will pick you back up again. So like, what if I fail? 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 How much of that are you carrying with you every single day? What if I fail at my job? What if I fail at my business? What if I fail at my family? What if I fail at my kids? How many of you are carrying failure of your kids with you all the time? Don't raise your hands. But what if I do? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I hold it the wrong? What if I? You don't have to carry all the what ifs. You don't have to carry all the what ifs. You don't have to carry all the what ifs. It was like seven, eight years ago. My wife and I had just had a baby. We were living in Nashville. Some of you have heard this. It's okay. We had a baby, Ella Rose, our first child, living in Nashville. We got robbed the day we had a baby. It was a whole thing. We moved four days later. We drove to, to Fort Myers with a four-day-old baby. I moved in with my in-laws. I moved back with my in-laws with their daughter and their grandchild and no job. When your sense of identity and self is based on what you do and how much of a man you think you are, that's a pretty depressing place to be. We wanted to start, uh, get back into the church. We wanted to, I wanted to, I was interviewing at churches. Um, there's three or four churches I've been talking to. And uh, our prayer had been like, God, just get us where you need us to be. We're not going to be super picky. Just on the beach somewhere. <laughs> just not in the middle of the state. Um, 
But ultimately, God opened and shut the doors where you want us to be. And so there was three or four churches we were talking to at the time, and they all felt pretty good. They felt like I could do some work there. It felt like our family could move to those places and be a part of something good. And uh, kind of one by one, the doors just started to close. The first one, they said, you know, like, hey, we don't, we don't feel like you're a good fit. Okay. I can hear that. I have the tendency to rub some people the wrong way. It happens. Uh, the second place, they said, uh, you know, we just... We don't think you're the right guy. Okay. Well, there's two more left. I'm sure God's closing these doors pretty quick. I'm sure these last couple have got to be pretty good for us. The third one, they called and they said, we don't like your hair. <laughs> then I was down to one. And the guy called and said, let's get together. And I said, okay. And so I drove two hours to meet this preacher from a church somewhere. And we sat down to dinner at a Sonny's barbecue. This was the last church on the list. And he said, we can't hire you. We're going a different direction. And my heart broke. My heart broke. Why did I just drive two hours to come meet you? Could you just told me that on the phone? Like, why? And I spent the next two hours driving home, just crying, crying out to God. God, why, why doesn't anybody want me? What's wrong with me? Am, am I really that bad? Is there some sort of flaw, fundamental flaw within myself that I don't see that everybody else is seeing. God revealed to me what's wrong with myself. And I remember I got home and I walked in the door. My family's there, my in-laws there. How was it? How'd it go? What's the report? Are we moving? Nope. I got nothing. I got nothing. I got, I got nothing. Nobody wants me I remember I went back to the back room where my three-week-old, four-week-old daughter was at this point, and he wept bitterly. I remember weeping, crying, sobbing. I remember apologizing to a three-week-old little girl in a crib saying, honey, I'm sorry your dad has failed. I'm sorry that God gave you a father who cannot provide for you. Like that was a heavy moment in my life. That was a hard pill to swallow. And you could have come along with, hey, Seth, you know what? There's three steps. If you just follow three, and there's five benefits, and this will make you stronger and get out of my face with that. Because it's not just in my head, it's in my heart, it's in my being. And what I have experienced, what I have tasted, what I have felt is complete and utter failure. And no three-step plan is going to fix that. So what do you do in that moment? How do you move forward in that moment? I don't know that there's anything that you can say to fix it. You can't fix it. But what I do see in the story of Peter, that maybe we can like put this in the back of our mind, put this in the back of our heart. 
What I do see in Peter, in this story where Jesus comes to him, do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep. What I see is that Jesus meets Peter in the middle of his failure, and he helps to move him into the future. He meets Peter in the middle of the failure, and he loves him into the future. You are not your mistakes. You are not your failures. Your identity is in your creator, the one whose image you have been made in. The almighty God and creator and sustainer of all things. He meets you in the middle of the failure and he loves you into a whole new future. Isn't that what he does with Peter? The last we see is Peter weeping bitterly. And then Jesus shows up and says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You're not done yet. I have something for you to do. He loves him into the future. It was a couple weeks after that last Sonny's barbecue I had that I got a phone call from a guy named Randy Green and Doug Meyer. And they said, hey, we're from this church called Metro. You should come talk to us. And I said, uh, who are you? <laughs> I'd forgotten I sent a resume. And I don't know if you know this, if, if you ever heard about my resume. My resume was a big joke. I was so mad and frustrated at churches and Christians and church people. I was so hurt from failing over and over again. My resume was maybe a page long. And the picture I had of myself, you can ask Patty, she'll tell you this story a hundred times. My picture was me holding a red solo cup at a wedding. And I intentionally left the red solo, I could have cropped it, but I left the red solo cup in because I just didn't care anymore. And I was so tired of churches and their games. Stop. I wanted a church that would accept me as I was, regardless of all my problems. And for some reason, they hired me. And that was eight years ago. But what I have learned is that he will meet you in the failure. Like, what, is there something else that we're supposed to take hope in? What if I fail? What if I fail? What if I fail? What if you fail? He will find you in the failure. Is it going to be easy? Is it going to take away the sting? No. It's still going to hurt. It's still going to be painful. You're still going to have to deal with all kinds of range of emotions and feelings and sadness. And... But the hope is that he's going to come to you in the middle of it and say, I have not given up on you. You are my child. You are my beloved. And I love you. 
And in fact, I have loved you so much that I have given my life for you. I have given my life for you. So step boldly into the future. Step boldly into the new reality that is Christ standing in solidarity with you no matter where you go and what you do. He will find you. You know what's really interesting about that scene there before Jesus asked him the question, do you love me, do you love me? What are they doing? They're having a conversation and they're having a meal. Jesus is having a meal with his disciples and meals are important. A meal is a place that you connect A meal is a place that you converse. A meal is a place that you get to know people. A meal is an intimate thing, especially at this place in this time. Like, you didn't just eat with just anybody. Like, a meal was significant. And so I find it fascinating that the thing that Jesus does, the thing that Jesus does before he lets Peter know that he is forgiven and accepted and loved despite his failure, the thing that Jesus does right before that is he says, let's sit down and have a meal together because there's something powerful when people eat together. There's something powerful. There's a closeness and an intimacy that is developed when you share that time and that food with one another. Jesus has this meal and then he says, Peter, you are loved and you are forgiven and you have a purpose. What a beautiful thing. We get the opportunity to share a meal each and every week. We've got stations on the side, gluten-free option in the back. Raise your hand if somebody uh, needs to come to you with the, with the meal. But what, what a beautiful thing to be a part of, this, this, this opportunity, this meal, that we take this bread, this juice that reminds us of the body and the blood of Jesus, that reminds us of the love that God has for us, that reminds us of the love that will forgive, that will meet us in the failure, this love that will help move us into the future. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son and whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life and be forgiven of mistakes and and, and be brought out of their failure and be told that there's another chance and be told that there's another chance and be told that there's another chance. So we sit at this meal. We partake of this meal, this intimate moment of closeness, of getting to know one another, of getting to be in the very presence of one another, to getting to be in the presence of the divine. And we say, yes, Lord, we do love you. And we are sorry when we fail. But we will come to you and we trust that you will be there in the middle of all of it. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you some space here to think, to contemplate. Maybe today you just need to stand, to sit still in the presence of God. Maybe you've got some things that you've been carrying with you, some, some heaviness. Maybe there's some failures that you haven't let go of, and it's your identity, and you keep going back to that, and you keep going back to that, and God's like, stop doing that. Let it go. Let it go. Like, don't you understand why I sent my son? Don't you understand, like, this whole hope thing? Don't you understand this forgiveness thing? Like, you are not your past. You are not your mistakes. You are mine. I, let, let it go. He meets you in the failure, and he moves you into the future. Is there something else that you're looking for?